we are going to start a series that I'm going to call Goat. Goat. That's right, Goat. We're not talking about the animal, um, but if you don't know what this stands for, it stands for, there probably should be periods in between, but it's greatest of all time. Greatest of all time. And so I feel like there's always these discussions in every category of our lives that we see that there's a goat in this category. So we talk about music and we say, okay, who's the greatest of all time? And everybody's going to have their opinion. I think it's so-and-so, and I think it's this person. Or And then you got the sports side, and we say, okay, like we think Tom Brady is, or we think uh, uh, Michael Jordan is, we think LeBron is. Like we all have our different areas and categories that we would consider there's a goat in this category, the greatest of all time. And so probably one of the biggest ones that, that I see is the debate with LeBron James and Michael Jordan. And I'm not going to pull conclusions or tell you my opinion, but I just think it's very interesting, and I'm not going to read through all of this. I thought I would just put this up there for you to see as you look at some of the debate that they're having. You know, the first left side, um, where it stops right here, is their career, and this side is the finals. I thought some interesting ones are like Michael Jordan averaged more points, um, but LeBron James's field goal percentage was higher, but Michael Jordan was 6-0 and in the finals. Um, the right side is just the finals. So it's like, I don't know. It's like you can look at these different people and you can debate on either side and it's like, okay, which one really is the greatest of all time? And I think when you look at football, um, they usually say Tom Brady is the greatest of all time with all of his championships and all that he's played for, whether you agree with it or not. I don't know. And so it's like we're always trying to debate who the greatest of all time is. And I think what's very interesting to me is seeing this word and what it stands for, in the word itself, there can only be one greatest of all time. I mean, if you're thinking of it literally saying the greatest of all time, we don't divide it into these categories. It's just the simple definition is that there has to just be one. And so what I'm here to hopefully unpack for the next few weeks and all throughout April, is that I want to show you through the qualities and attributes of him that God is the go. He's the greatest of all time. Through his attributes, through the way that, that he navigates life, what he is makes him the greatest of all time. His qualities speak for themselves. And so I want to unpack for the next few moments, the goat has unconditional love. The goat has unconditional love. Because when you look at something, I think love is a great foundation to start with when it comes to talking about the greatest of all time. Because love is such a foundational thing in that him exuding love, him being love, is going to set up in the future weeks to show why he is the greatest of all time. And so I want to look at a story that we've probably, most of us have heard, and it's the prodigal son or the lost son, however you want to say it. And so it says here, Luke 15, to illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of the estate now, instead of waiting until you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and took a trip to a distant land. And there he wasted all his money on wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him to feed the pigs. The boy became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself at home, even the hired men have enough food to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. 
I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired man. So he turned home to his father, and while he was still a long distance away, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to the servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house, put it on him, get a ring for his finger, sandal for his feet, and kill the calf we have been fattening in the pen. We must celebrate with a feast, for the son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he's found. So the party began. And I think what's very interesting as you look at this story is I think you have to understand the scene that's being set up even before he gets to this story. So if you look at Luke 15, um, in verses 1 and 2, it says this, Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such despicable people, even eating with them. And so you have to see in this scene that, that Jesus being who he is in the ministry that he's doing, notorious sinners. So if we contextualize this maybe more into people like our day, we're talking about people like drug addicts. We're talking about people um, like alcoholics. We're talking about people like prostitutes and all these, these different people that feel comfortable with Jesus. There's something about Jesus that he exudes, whether it's love, care, compassion, to all people that these people feel comfortable enough to come and listen to Jesus as he's talking. And there's something that, that isn't kind of connecting with what I would call the church people, the Pharisees or the religious people. They're the ones that should be exuding this love. They should be exuding this compassion. They should be the examples as the church people. And instead, they're in the background watching this scene unfold, and they're not happy with Jesus. Why are you letting these people just come up and, and, and eat with you? Why are you hanging out with them? And so there's not something that's connecting when it comes to the church people. So then Jesus goes on to tell these three stories. There's the parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, and then the final one he tells here is the parable of the lost son. And to kind of nutshell what the story is saying, if you get lost in all those verses, is basically this, this father, he has two sons. We're only going to look at the one son, but the one son comes to him, and when you get an inheritance, or in the phrasing that this says, when, when he asks for his estate now, what he's basically telling his father is that I wish you were dead. Because something like an estate or an inheritance is something that you get when somebody passes away. So if my parents pass away, they probably, I would think, will leave something for me. And so it's like me going to my parents right now when they're still alive and say, what I normally get when you're dead, I want now. So it's basically saying I wish you were dead. That's so what he tells his father. So his father, maybe without any discussion, maybe he wasn't happy. I don't know. Jesus doesn't say the conversation. Father gives him his son's money, inheritance, and so the son takes off. Packs everything up, goes and he spends it all. He's partying. He's living his best life, in his opinion. And as he realizes that I can't just party and do all these things without a continual cash flow, he runs out of money. And at the same time as he runs out of money, there's a great famine that sweeps over. And so now he's having a hard time finding food. And now it's just, it's a terrible spot to be in. And so he says, well, I got to figure something out. And so he ends up talking to one of the farmers and convinces him to at least let him feed pigs. If there's anything I can do for you, let me do it. 
So he says, okay, you can feed the pigs. And so as he's feeding the pigs, I, I don't know what you can imagine, um, but imagine, I guess, trash or, I mean, even basically like throw up is what he's feeding these pigs. And he looks down at it and it looks appetizing to him. I mean, that's got to be a low point that you're at that went, what you're feeding these pigs looked good to him. And then he had this moment of realization that I got to go back home. Even my, my parents' servants have a better life than me. And so he packs everything up and he's on his way home and, and he's probably been rehearsing this speech a bunch of times. Father, I've sinned against you. I'm not worthy to be called your son. No, I don't like that tone. Let's, let's give it maybe a little higher tone. Father, and, and he's like trying to figure out how am I going to portray to my dad that I, I'm broken over what I've done. So he goes home and as he's rehearsing this, it's like I imagine this as a father and I imagine more like my father um, because there was a period of about eight years that I ran, nine years that I ran from Jesus, and I can, I can picture my father kind of being the same way. You know I mean, imagine his dad every day from the moment that his son asks him for his inheritance, basically telling him he wish he was dead, every day peeking out the window. And he's got his cup of coffee in the morning, and he gets up, and he looks out the window and says, well, today be the day my son returns. And he waits there for a while. He finishes his cup of coffee and says, well, I better get on to the day. I better start doing the stuff around the house, getting the farm ready, all these different things. And then maybe at night, he's winding down and just peeks out again. Maybe he comes home tonight. Nothing. And so there's one morning, he gets up probably, and he peeks out the window. And as he's about to turn away, because he's like, well, it's just another day that my son's not here, he starts to see somebody coming off in the distance. And in that time, Jewish Men especially, and especially older men like that, didn't run. And so there's something in him that he sees his son, and he's filled with love and compassion. And he runs after him, and he gets him, and his son tries to tell him, I'm sorry for it. And before he can even get finished with the thing, he says, go get everything and let's throw a party for my son is home. And I think there's a couple things within this story that show the qualities because the Father is God, our Father, of what His love is like. And I think the first thing that it shows is that through the greatest of all time, His love is unconditional even when we don't deserve it. I mean, He had every right to turn His back on His Son. We've probably had moments in, in our friendships, in our, our lifetime, that somebody's done something to us that's hurt us. Somebody's done something that's made us not like them anymore. And his own son looks at his father and says, give me what you're supposed to give me when you're dead now. And then he takes off. I mean, can you imagine what's going through the father's mind? You have such a good life here. Why, why do you want to go? And he runs off and it's like every moment, if I'm the father, I'm sitting there. Well, he chose to do it. If he wants to go off and spend all of his money and he wants to go live his own lifestyle, then let him do it. But there's something that doesn't happen in the father, but he just continually boils over in love for his son, just waiting each day for him to come home. And he said, I have unconditional love. There's not certain things you have to do to receive my love. I just give it to you because that's who I am. Even though you don't deserve it and you should be a servant and not my son anymore, I love you and I want to celebrate you coming back home. And that's the kind of love our Father has that no matter where we've been and what we're doing, He loves you unconditionally. 
Because he is love. First John 4 talks about he is love. And so the quality of what love is, he can't not be because he is love. And so it's unconditional even when we don't deserve it, even when we deserve punishment. He doesn't turn his back on us. And I think what's also very interesting, and I think what's so good about his love, is that it pursues us. You see this in this picture as his son is coming home, that the father doesn't wait for the son to get up to his doorstep, or the son doesn't even um, probably get to the end of the driveway, but he sees him, as it says, as a long distance away, or as it says, still a long distance away or a long way off, some other translations say. He's way out there. And instead of waiting for his son, he pursues him. He goes after his son. And so that's the kind of love that the father has, is that he's not going to wait for you. He's going to pursue you. That's the love that he goes after you and that he wants to get you into this relationship so that you can feel and understand that the love he has for you. And I think sometimes we often feel like we have to, back to the unconditional, we feel like we have to do something or that we have to go after him to receive that love. But the father, because of who he is and the love that he has, he says, I'll go after you. I mean, it's what the gospel is. Back in Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve decide to take their own way and disobey God. So now there's this separation. And God doesn't wait for us as a whole entire world to get down on our knees and say, God, we are so sorry. No, he sends his son because his love is proactive to die for you and for me. And he even nails his son to a cross. And there are going to be people that won't accept it. But because his love is, is so overflowing and it's so proactive, he dies because he wants his love to meet you, not his, you to come meet his love. And so his love pursues you. It goes after you. And I think what it also helps you see is that God doesn't care where you've come from. He wants to know where you're going. He cares about more where you're going than where you came from. Because in this moment... He doesn't say, well, I know you're out there partying and doing all that, son. I don't know why you've come back home. You don't deserve to come home. No, 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 no. He doesn't even talk about anything his son did. He looks to the future. And he says, my son has now returned. He's home. He needs to receive an overflowing love that I went after him for and move on to go into the future. Have his life changed and this love received. A few weeks ago, we haven't had this, this is only the second time, which is very thankful, at our new house. We had it a lot at our old house um, that our dog got out. So he, he would always sneak through. We had a bunch of holes in our back fence when we lived right over here on the backside of Grace. And so if I wasn't paying attention, he would sneak out one of these holes and go running. Um, but I'm out there on the phone with my cousin. I'm talking about a couple different things. And so I'm kind of paying attention to him. I usually have to go outside with him because he will try to climb over the fence if I'm not paying attention. So I'm out there walking with him, but I'm not like super close to him like normal. And so I'm talking on the phone, kind of paying attention. And then something I kind of heard off in the woods was moving. And I see out of the corner of my eye, our dog comes zooming and vaults straight over the fence. Like, I've never seen him do this. It was like, normally he'll like jump up, and if you're not paying attention, he'll kind of climb up because he can't. But he straight vaulted right over the fence, and I just see him take off and go into the cemetery because our house kind of 
butts up against the back side of the cemetery. And so I go inside and I'm never in a happy mood when this happens. And so Shannon's like, what's, what's going on? He said he got over the fence. I like slammed the door and I'm like trying to change my clothes so I can get my shoes on. And so I jump in the car um, to go look for him. But I had every right to just say whatever. He chose to jump over the fence, and so if he wants to run away from home, then let him go. I don't care. I could have sat there and said, well, we'll just wait, and hopefully he comes back. If he gets hit, it's his problem. But that's not what I said, and that's not the way that my love is for my dog, because I, I have a love that, that is for this dog. And so I jump in the car, and I, I drive around for a little while, and I can't find him. And then I come back home, and I start walking along the back side of the cemetery, hoping maybe I still see him. And, and I then tell Shannon to post it on Facebook or wherever she posts it and do these different things. And so luckily it was only a couple hours, unlike the last time. It was like half the day he was gone. A couple hours, somebody trapped him in their backyard, and we went and got him. But I also could have brought him home, locked him in a room, and said, well, this is what you get. You know, you deserve to just be sitting here for, you know, who knows, weeks, months, because you decide you want to jump over the fence, and I don't, I don't want to deal with you. But I don't. I grab him, and I pick him up, and I put him in our car, and then I go give him a bath, and I still show him unconditional love, even though I had every right to be mad at him for choosing to go his own way. And I think a lot of times that's what happens in this relationship with God is God's got this fenced-in area that we have in this relationship of how this relationship should work, and then we see something we think is going to be fulfilling. So we vault over the fence and realize we don't know where we are, how we get back home, and God's right there to continue to love us. It's okay. I'll get you. Let's go back home. I still love you. Just come back home. And that's the kind of love that our Father has for us. And so I think as we kind of close this down, it's been really challenging to me because there's nobody on this planet that you know that will ever love you as much as God does. You know, I have parents that love me a a lot. I have a wife that loves me, and I have other family members that love me. But the Father's love is so much more than anybody on this planet that I have to understand that, that there's a love that somebody has for me that's so much deeper and that I can't experience anywhere else. I think we try to experience the kind of love that we're supposed to experience with the Father with other people, but we're broken and sinful people. I can't experience the kind of perfect love with Shannon that I can with the Father because the Father's perfect. I can experience a, a, an angle or a part of the love that the Father has. And so you need to understand that part of the reason He's the greatest of all time is because of the love that He has, but He has a love that we can't understand. That no matter where you're at in life, no matter what you're going through, the Father still loves you. He will go after you. He will look at you in awe. I imagine... Most of the time when I see a picture um, or, or a scene um, in nature is where I get this kind of awe feeling. You know, a couple years ago, I was at a conference in Colorado, and I was standing on top of one of the mountains looking down over one of these cities. And it's like, that was just so cool to me. There's some snow blanketing, um, some lights were on, and it was just like an awe-inspiring picture. Maybe it's been a sunset. I've been seeing a couple sunsets when we used to go to the beach with my parents. 
in the summer and it's like watching the sun come up and light up the sky and there's like wow you sit there and you sometimes don't even have words and that's how the father looks at you he's like you're so unique and, and i love every bit of you and i love you so much that he just is in awe of you john three sixteen, one of my favorite verses for god so loved the world a lot of pastors have been talking more about this so love they call it a love we can't comprehend and we can't explain but it's pursuing it's unconditional and it will always be there for you and so you want to talk about the greatest of all time you need to first understand the love that he has for you because the qualities itself are going to show why he's so great there's not going to be too many people that are going to be able to love you like the Father does. You're going to do something and then they'll just turn your back and they're angry at you. They won't come after you with love even if you hurt them. And there's always conditions sometimes it feels like when it comes to love with people. And God said there's nothing you have to do. Just love me. Because I love you. And I love every bit about you. You may have been told growing up, you may feel right now that like nobody loves you. Just in a spot, I just don't feel like anybody loves me or people told me they don't love me. But you have a father that desperately desires to love you and be in a relationship with you. And the best thing you can do is sit in the kind of love that he has for you. I look back at my story and some of the decisions and choices that I made and I go, there's no way I deserve this kind of love. Yet he's there. You look at the prodigal son and the father still loves him. You look at Paul in the beginning of his ministry is out killing Christians. Yet he becomes one of the most influential people for Jesus the rest of his life. And God still loves him. God has a love we can't explain. And it makes him the greatest of all time because he has a love that is so great makes me think about as I close um, some of you that have kids um, probably know this feeling or you, if you don't have kids you probably maybe even heard your parents talk about this but um, I remember you know the moment we had Willow and I'm not going to give you all the details but I, I can remember it's just like the night that she was starting to have some um, contractions and, and not feeling good um, we were supposed to get induced the next day so she was like uh, a week or two over her due date and so they were like okay you know we're going to induce you and so my biggest thing that i kept thinking to myself is please go to the hospital when we're not sleeping because i just i'm a grouch when i get woken up and i just like i just don't want to go like in the middle of the night like we can go i don't care if it's 10 o'clock 11 um so we go to bed and she's having some contractions i'm like okay let's just hope she feels it at like 10 o'clock and we'll go um so we end up going to sleep because she's, she's like, I think we can probably make it to the morning. We were supposed to go at 7, so like we were going to leave. We were going over to Worcester, so at like 6, 6.30. Um, and at 2 a.m., 2 a.m., I get the kind of hit on me, on my arm, and she says, I think I'm in labor. And me, being the great husband I am, said, okay, what do we do? I'm like, she's like, should we go to the hospital? I said, I don't know. I said, why don't you call the hospital and see? Because I don't want to get all the way out there. And they're like, well, you're still a long way off, so you don't need to come in. And she calls the hospital. They say, yes, come in. So we get in the car, load everything up at about 2 in the morning, get there at about 2.30. 
And like I said, I'll spare you the details, but uh, at 11.58, so this is 2.30 in the morning, 11.58 that night, um, Willow is born about 23 hours later, and I told her she had to get her out before midnight because I already filled out the paperwork for her birth certificate, and I didn't want to have to fill another one out for a new day. So I said, you have to get her out at 11, or before midnight. So at 11.58, she comes out, and it's like you look at her, and you're just in awe. Or you've seen, you know, your parents may say that about you, or, or you've watched a movie with, I don't know, something of that caliber, and it's like you look at something and you're like, wow. And there's so much love you just want to give that child, and there's nothing that child has done to deserve your love. That child will probably make mistakes in the future and do some dumb things, but my love will still be there for her. And that's like what the father looks at you as being a newborn child. And it's just like, wow, I can't believe you're mine. I can't believe you're my child. The amount of love I have for you, I can't describe. You're going to make mistakes. You're going to mess up. But I'm still going to be there for you. The father has a love that we can't explain. And one of the best things you can do as his child is just sit in the Father's love. God is the greatest of all time because of his love, his unconditional love. We don't have to make a case for him. Just experience it and you'll understand why he is the greatest of all time.